Bibles and turn to Matthew 18. Tonight we're going to get started on this passage that is a continuation of the teaching that we have been hearing about properly loving and attending to the needs of the Church of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be surprised that our Lord would enjoin this duty upon us when it is his taking up this duty first and fullest where he attended and loved the Church of Jesus Christ to our great benefit. And without him doing so, we would have nothing. And so he turns and then, having rescued us from the world and death, he enjoins upon us the same duty to the measure of our gifts and graces and calling. And this continues tonight. Tonight we're going to hear a continuation, really, of what we heard last week about a man who had a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray. He leaves the 99 and he goes and he searches for the one who went astray. Well, the Lord is unpacking, really, that little parable from last week. He's unpacking it now in the very real context of sin when we find ourselves sinned against in the church. Let us pray. Father, help us now as we hear your word read and preached. Give us ears to understand, to believe, and to do. O Lord, grant each and all of us uh, a measure of the manna from heaven that belongs to Christian pilgrims who are not at home, but on their way and fixed in a faithfulness out of sight of their true city, their true Lord. O Lord, grant us, grant us strength out of that faith view of all that belongs to us. And if we must, Lord, grant us the courage to see our lives and ways and thoughts reformed by your word tonight. Help us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is God's word. In our reading tonight... The Lord is calling us to take up the same work that he has already undertaken with each and every one of us who are now Christians. And what work is that? It is the work of rescuing and restoring and saving others in the church from a slow or quick slide 
down into a life of sin. Now, Jesus is the pioneer of this work in the world. He said of himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10. Jesus came into the world from above the world to rescue men and women and boys and girls who at one time were entangled in all kinds of sin. They ignorantly and and blindly and recklessly lived as enemies of God. They daily offended God without any knowledge of it. They did whatever pleased them and did not think of what they owed to God or owed to their fellow man, their neighbor. But instead of coming into the world to condemn them, Jesus came into the world to seek them and to save them. He called them to repent and believe on him as Savior and God, and under a full and free forgiveness of all their sins, he called them then to follow him. Follow him to heaven and escape the corruptions that are in the world because of evil desires. But now, in our text tonight, Jesus is saying something quite serious about this. He is saying we are to join him in this work. Of course, it is his blood that covers and forgives sin, not our blood. And of course, it is his word that gives light and direction, not our word. And of course, it is his spirit that moves someone struggling with sin to repent, not our spirit. But even so, we are to join him in the work he has begun. We are to do our part in our little corner of the kingdom to rescue sinners from being carried off by the devil into all kinds of dissipation and perhaps even apostasy. Now, if you think about it, who better is there to do this work in the church than we believers who have already benefited from somebody doing this work with us? All of us who are Christians have already been on the receiving end of the work that is being described in our text tonight. Jesus has come to each of us, if we're a Christian. He has come to each of us by his word and spirit. He has come to our conscience and to our intellect and to our will and to our heart, and he has carefully and patiently and even in many cases discreetly shown us the sin that once dominated us and hurt others and offended God. He has done this to you already. He showed us how ravenous we were to keep our sin. He showed us all this, and in the showing, he gave us the ability to see it. By his Holy Spirit, we could see what he was showing us, and we saw that it was ours, and it was true, and we repented. And we believed, and we abandoned the sins we once loved so much because we had come to love him more, far more. And now we know that when we finally see him in heavenly glory, we will wish we had abandoned even more of our sins because he is so pure and we will see him. He is so bright. He is so good and wholesome and clean and excellent and noble and dignified and gentle and kind and glorious. And when you will see him, you will wish that you had fought harder against sin in your life 
You wish that you had given him more. But even so, he receives you. But notably, and this is the underlying assumption of our text tonight, notably, we are not finished in our struggle against our own sin. The Lord Jesus, right here in this teaching, is giving other believers the freedom and the right and the responsibility to come and correct me when I sin against them. That's what he's doing in this text. And notably, this means we are not done sinning. But notably, this means Jesus' interest in saving us from our sins is not done either. Now let us be sure, once Jesus justifies us by faith and forgives us all our sins, we are saved. And we cannot ever totally or finally fall away from that state of grace in which we stand, Romans 5, 1 and 2. But there is another kind of saving than justification. There is the saving of sanctification. And that is what is mostly described in our text tonight. Other Christians who know sin when they see it and are given the freedom and the right and the responsibility to come and correct us when we sin against them. And what will this all accomplish? Well, this will keep us close. This will keep us close to the family of God. This will keep us among the brothers. This will keep us true and sincere relatives to our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and mother. Mark 3.35. Now it is clear in our text tonight, we are not always going to be the ones restored by this ongoing rescue work. Sometimes we are going to be the restorers. And that, of course, is the accent that's on this whole text. There are two groups of people in this text, aren't there? Those who are being restored and those who are doing the work of restoration. And on any given week, you might be both or one. And this is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's why he lays it down in this text for his church until the end of the age. Our Lord says then in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Here our Lord Jesus is making it clear that when we are personally and privately sinned against, we have the freedom to go to the one who sinned against us and personally and privately alert them to what they have done. We have the fright and the responsibility and the freedom to do that as need be. And let's say something about as need be. As need be. We should understand that the passage before us is not the entire canon of the Lord's teaching on how to deal with people when they sin against you. Everything he has to say about it is not found here. 
The passage before us is largely concerned about when someone who is your equal privately and personally sins against you. There are other passages in the Lord's teaching about what to do when somebody who is your superior sins against you. You're not bound to the terms of Matthew 18 when a superior sins against you. And this passage doesn't say anything about how wise and good it is to overlook somebody's sin against you, if you are able. There are many other texts that teach on this very matter. For example, Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Echoing that text is 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, sincere, or excuse me, since love covers a multitude of sins. Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Luke 17.3, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now that has a very domestic ring about it, doesn't it? (laughs) And one more. When a superior sins in the church, listen to this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those, those elders, who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. There's even more. But in the text before us tonight, our Lord Jesus is teaching us what to do when someone who is our equal privately and personally sins against us. Now give very careful attention in verse 15 to the Lord's boundary that he sets. He uses the words, between you and him alone. This means the Lord is not addressing public sins that are generally known, such as false teaching. He's not addressing that here. In those cases, the persons responsible to go and correct are likely church officers, elders, pastors, whom should be contacted. But here in verse 15, the Lord is addressing matters that are private and personal, and he expects us not to widely publish the faults of our brothers and sisters. This means we all may need to learn a very useful skill, the skill of silencing and redirecting the accidental talebearer. And I'm using the word accidental there generously. You are likely familiar with this situation. Someone starts telling you about the sinful way another Christian has taken with them, mocking them. They're telling you about this. Cursing them. They want you to know about it. Mistreating them in some way, which God forbids, they want you to learn about it. But what happens is the one sinned against wants to tell you about it, but they have not yet even spoken to the one who sinned against them. 
beloved, this is wrong, our Lord is saying. It is severe. It is excessive. It is cruel to publish the faults of people who have sinned against you privately and personally when you haven't even talked to the one who sinned against you. And even then, you are not to publish them except according to this rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the skill of silencing and redirecting can help a lot. It only requires learning a few words like these. Hi, have you told them they have done this to you? No? Then I certainly shouldn't be hearing about it. They should. Go and talk to them. It's the Lord's work. He goes with you. Now let's talk about something else. How great was that sermon this morning? Close quote. (laughs) That's a little humor. The skill of silencing and redirecting can be enormously helpful to the accidental tailbearer. Now look at verse 16 with me. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now here, our Lord Jesus anticipates the situation where a private and personal conference with the offender has been unsuccessful. The one who sinned does not want to be spoken to, or he does not want to make amends. In such cases, we are to find one or even two others to bring with us. Now this, of course, is going to slow things down. That's the purpose of this this rule, to slow everything down. This slows things down, but it adds something considerable. It adds weight and leverage and gravitas to the whole matter. Because the people who should be selected should be men or women of character in the church that will be hard to say, no, I won't meet with you. No, I don't want to talk about that. Prudently, it would be wise to pick the offender's favorite people in the church and say, would you come with me, you and you, to talk to him? Now, the Lord's rule here is not, of course, new. It comes from Deuteronomy 19.15, which reads, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. The Lord is showing us that this wisdom from God's law stands in the church of Jesus Christ. It is ours, this wisdom. All the light, all the light of God's truth is ours. Now, in this rule in verse 16, our Lord still expects a high level of discretion, but he is now allowing for the addition of members of the church who bring extra weight, reputation, and character. The intention is to bring the offender to a more sober state of mind. It's not just one person who wants to meet with me. 
It's now two or three. And the offender will see two things simultaneously. He will see the seriousness of two or three asking for a meeting, and he will see the care, the discretion that they are keeping and doing their work. He will see that they walk under the rule of Jesus Christ, and they're not just doing this from the hip. It is clear they do not want to make a spectacle of the offender. That's why this is down to just two or three. This should be great encouragement to the offender, even though he's been obstinate in his first wave of not wanting to listen. Well, now he's being sobered, Lord willing. They don't want to make sport of him or ruin him. What they want is to gain a hearing with him and to gain him back as a brother. Leverage is sometimes necessary to gain back a brother. And now let's move on to the next verse. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Tell it to the church. Who or what is the church under this rule? Well, most likely what the Lord Jesus means here are those who are in church office. The church has representatives. So what is, not, what is being referred to here is not every member of the church gets a letter. But what is being referred to here is that those who are in the church's leadership office they are to be told, for they are the final authority in matters of dispute. Now, this doesn't mean that they are now to keep this a secret. In fact, the progression of our Lord's rule has gone from private to public by the time we hear tell it to the church. But it doesn't require every member of the church to sit in an equal measure of deliberation over the matter. There are representatives in the church, and they are church elders. But if this man, who's the offender, refuses to listen even to the church officers, let him be to that believing group, that believer and the church, as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, this is an expression to clear up how we are to regard the obstinate offender who refuses to be gained fresh to his brothers in the bonds of the gospel. How do we regard the obstinate offender? We regard him as one who is outside the church now. And this is a simple expression at the end of the verse that is synonymous with excommunication. He is now the offender, the obstinate offender, put back into the population of those who do not belong to the church of Jesus Christ. This does not mean that he is unwelcome to sit and listen and participate physically in the worship of God. He's not banned from the doors as long as he has no criminal intent, but he is banned from the Lord's Supper. 
because we are not to invite a man to unite his obstinate sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is among the evangelized again. He is to be pleaded with and prayed for and witnessed to. So even though he he has come to the most terminal level of obstinacy, he is not to be regarded as dead. He's regarded as a sinner needing salvation, needing the ministry of the gospel. So here today, or excuse me, tonight, we have our Lord's simple rule on how to deal with a private and personal matter of being sinned against. And the real purpose of this whole rule that is here before you is the care and charity and sweetness of the gospel to win the offender back as privately as possible. Because that privacy between you and him allows his heart to soften if it pleases God. If you put his sin against you on a public bulletin board, you in effect are driving him out. You in effect are steamrolling him and casting him upon the shores of public ruin. You are destroying his reputation and not even giving him opportunity to repent. So the Lord says, this is how I would have you, my church, win your brethren who stray away from the 99. And this, of course, is how the Lord Jesus has won us. The Lord saved you. He has not even yet published before your eyes all the sins that he knows that his blood has covered in your life. Sins that you may not even know. And if he published before you the excellent list, perfect record-keeping of every sin that you have ever committed, you just would not be able to function. You do not have the graces and the glory of a fully transformed, redeemed man or woman to bear the look that all your sins would require. The shadow would be too heavy. The Lord is not even going to publish that list. He has covered those sins and cast them in the deepest part of the sea, and you know the rest of the story, and he put a no fishing sign above it. Beloved, he wants us to be like him. We can't be overly timid about this work being done in any church of Jesus Christ. We can be, unfortunately, sometimes overly trigger happy to do it. And if you are, if you are trigger happy to go and rebuke people for private and personal sins, uh, get some counsel first. Get some counsel from one of your elders, men who are skilled in matters of discretion. It is better to do this right with counsel than to go out swinging a bat in a china shop. But let us learn from our Lord Jesus Christ in this wisdom of his rule. He knows how to pursue the sinner instead of just wash his hands of the sinner and let them go. This is what he has done with us. Let us pray. Father, we pray for your help and blessing.
to live by this rule, to see the wisdom and the grace of it, and to see that we have been enlisted in the very work that we ourselves have received. Oh Lord, we pray that we would be like the shepherd, the good shepherd, who goes after even one stray sheep. Lord, we pray that you would teach each of us by your spirit and word what sins we are to simply cover with love and what sins we must go and speak to the offender about. And Lord, we indeed confess that we fully expect to sometimes be the offender. Give us grace for the one who comes to visit with us. Give us grace to look upon them and not see them as an imposter who we don't want to listen to, but to see them as one who is following the very rule of Christ, the one who has been sent to us by Christ right here in his own word, the one who is doing the work of Christ and who indeed Christ is with as he comes to us again, even through these dear ones. Oh Lord, help us all. Help us all be so confident that the gospel is for us, that our sins are forgiven, that our continued struggle with sin can indeed be greatly defeated and mortified with the help of Jesus Christ, and that we don't want to be in the dark. Oh Lord, help us all receive one another and come to one another in a way that is honorable to the one who has come to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.